This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. David Granite, and welcome to Health Matters. 100% of low-income countries around the world will have people that have five diseases on average that aren't being treated. Almost 150 countries will be suffering from at least one neglected tropical disease. This is an astonishing impact on the world. A half a million people die each year from these neglected diseases. With us today, we have Dr. James McCarrow. Welcome. Thank you. Dr. McCarrow is the Dean of the Skaggs School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences here at the University of California, San Diego, where he's also a distinguished professor. Um, and as I would like to say, he's a double doctor. You are both a PhD, a real doctor, and an MD. <laughs> uh, and as we were talking before the show, your PhD came first, and then you mm-hmm. went back to medical school, which is mm-hmm. an unusual way of doing it. Right. So you have this incredible science background, as well as your physician background, and you put it together here at the School of Pharmacy. That's right. Uh, I-, I mentioned some stats at the beginning of the show about this impact of some of these neglected tropical diseases and what they're doing around the world. Uh, th- there are some 190 countries, and 149 of them are touched mm-hmm. by this in a big way. But I don't think a lot of people know what a neglected tropical disease is. Mm-hmm. So let's enlighten them. What is that? Well, you know, if you look at a disease that we all know about, like diabetes, and you ask how many people in the world have serious diabetes, a lot, 100 million people, according to the World Health Organization. That's a huge global health problem. But there's a disease called schistosomiasis. Now, That's a disease I would say most people have not heard of, let alone be able to pronounce, (laughs) right? But schistosomiasis affects 250 million people in the world. I mean, that's almost the entire population of the United States. That's right. That's right. And then you have diseases that are caused by these strange parasitic worms called soil-transmitted helminths, and they affect astronomical numbers of people, like a billion Right? A significant portion of the a world's population. A billion population. people. And, and for the most part, in the United States, we take it for granted that we don't deal with these. That's right. That's right. And, and I wanted to, one of the questions I had coming into the show is, what's different about the United States from, from the rest of the world or other parts of the world that we don't face this? Right. Well, I think that, you know, you talked about what makes a tropical disease neglected. So, okay, so these are huge global health problems. But... We don't have any vaccines for any of these diseases, zero. Most of the time, we don't have effective drugs. If the drugs are effective, they usually have a lot of side effects. And in addition, we have a problem of drug resistance in many of these diseases. I think most people probably know that malaria, for example, is is a big problem because of drug resistance. So why don't we have the kind of drugs we'd have in the U.S. to treat diseases that we have here for these diseases that are huge global health problems. And the issue is that the diseases that affect most of the people in the world are diseases of poor people in poor regions. That's the neglected part. That's the neglected part. So there's no economic incentive for the pharmaceutical industry, which is where drugs are made, 
to make drugs for these diseases because there's no market. That's what makes them neglected. Why does this affect poor people? Is there something that we're doing in the United States from sanitation or hand washing? Or what are we doing that's different than what's available in other parts of the world? Well, certainly hygiene and sanitation is a big part of it, right? So if you could convince people that, oh, maybe they should use the toilet and not go to the lake, you could probably interrupt the transmission of a lot of these diseases. But if you think about, say, a fisherman, his livelihood is catching fish. He's out on the lake all day. Is he going to take his boat all the way in to go to the toilet? No. So this is part of the problem. It's convincing people really from a cultural standpoint. So what I always tell our students is that, you know, controlling these diseases isn't just a scientific problem. It's, an, it's really a problem for anthropologists. Hmm. You really have to understand the culture before you go in and pretend you're going to do something with a new tool. Yeah, and, and we as physicians in the Western countries have been bitten by that many times where we go in and we take our way of thinking and anything that we're trying to do completely fails. That's right. That's right. Because we never think about the fact that perhaps we're trying to impose upon people our culture and not un- really understand the issues that are involved in trying to, say, provide them with an injection. For a lot of people, being injected is a fairly serious thing. And, of course, now you know that there's also this overlay of politics as well, where people think, oh, these people coming from the West, they're coming here to, to somehow give us a poison. And when they inject something into us, how do we know this is a vaccine and not a poison? So there's a hmm. lot of issues that have to be overcome. I, yesterday, I got my flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the, the nurse put a needle into my arm. I didn't think twice about it. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't think twice about that here. But yet. Uh, it's Absolutely. In other parts of the world, that would be a big issue. So sometimes when. Uh, people who understand how you might apply some new drug in, in, a, in a situation where there's a neglected disease, understands, okay, that drug is going to have to be something you take orally. It can't be an injectable. Okay? And so for the scientists making that drug, that really limits them because a lot of drugs don't get absorbed very well. So, okay, you've got to play around with it a little more than you usually would because you can't inject it. Your the head of the pharmacy school, mm-hmm. um, you know, deciding or figuring out a way to deliver a medication, whether it's to children here in the United States who aren't going to be happy about certain things, to around the world, developing a drug or figuring out the drug mechanism is one thing, but developing a way to deliver it is another. Are those some of the things that you're working on at the pharmacy school? Oh, absolutely. I think that one of the aspects of educating the future pharmacists that we have at our school is in the idea that, okay, if you're going to be delivering things not just in the U.S., but elsewhere, you have to think about issues you normally wouldn't think about, such as temperature. Oh, I'm going to deliver something in the tropical. It's hot. Um, Maybe I don't have electricity, so I need to have something which is stable in a hot climate without a refrigerator. Okay, so that's something that it's a little bit far doesn't come up life, here. You know? <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, everybody has a refrigerator. Right, my, my, my college kids got a little refrigerator. That's right. In this that's room. right. Doc gives you an antibiotic. You go home, stick it in the refrigerator. Shake it up, put it in the refrigerator. That's right. So I hadn't thought about that. So now you, you, you've got to transport it out to where the people are, mm-hmm. and then you've got to keep it sterile or 
even if it's powdered, how do you reconstitute it? Is the water clean? That's right. Is the water clean? And then you have other issues, you know. So in some places, you might imagine that there isn't going to be a, a clinic or a hospital, right? So people might be in villages. They might be 20 miles away from where you are. So they're going to walk to where you are. They're going to walk 20 miles to get that medication. Therefore, you can't say to someone, oh, okay, um, I want you to take this for 12 days, and I want to keep an eye on you for those 12 days in case you have side effects. Forget about it. You've got to have something that you give to them once while they're standing there. You take a look at them. They're okay. They're going to go the 20 miles back to their village. You may not ever see them again. It's a very different situation. And, and, and it may be a dirt floor. Mm-hmm. It, it may be that their, their nutrition is not going to be up to what That's you want. That's right. That's right. So uh, w- what a challenge mm-hmm. to try and figure out. How to, I mean, you can see why... This is hard. Mm-hmm. But why is it the role of a university to be involved in that? I mean, we're, you and I are both at the University of California. That's right. Why, why are we involved in this? Well, you know, I, for me, I think that here's a situation where you have people needing drugs for diseases that are huge problems everywhere. And then you have an industry who's not interested in it for reasons. I mean, people who I've talked to in the industry say, look, we're a business. We're not a philanthropy. Right. So, you know, if they don't see a market, they're not going to develop a drug for it. Right. So I'm thinking you and I, we're in a public university, the University of California. It's a state school. If anyone's going to meet that challenge, if anyone's going to pick up that gauntlet, it's going to be us. And and now I'm I'm just I'm thinking about all this because you've you've spurred so many thoughts about what what you're doing. So you're. You have science going on at the School of Pharmacy. There's research yeah. going on. You, you talked about training the next generation of pharmacists. Mm-hmm. I, I think that we have to connect these together because there's a, an image that some people may have as the pharmacist is the guy counting the pills behind the counter at Rite Aid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the modern pharmacist is part of the chain of the delivery of health care. That's right. And is an important component of that because uh, from compliance to uh, recognition of two drugs that might not be appropriate to give together, uh, to, to an advisor, consultant. The pharmacy role is, is huge now. So we have the science end of it, and we have the delivery of care end of it. How is that being integrated at SCAGS? Right. So, you know, our school is what's called a research-intensive school of pharmacy. We require all of our students to do a research project while they're in the school. That gets them into thinking about how science is done. And I would say that many of our graduates actually go to jobs in industry. They just don't go necessarily to retail pharmacies. They go to a variety of different settings, academia, industry, sometimes to regulatory areas like the US FDA. So having them do a research project while they're involved in their education is a really important part of connecting them to this idea of science and pharmacy. But you also mentioned this changing role of the pharmacist. And I think a lot of people in the audience probably aren't aware that it's already happened. There is actually a law in the state of California which says that pharmacists now can be primary health care providers. So what does that mean? That means they can consult directly with patients. They can not only manage their therapy, they can change their therapy. They can change their prescription. So it's a very different aspect of of pharmacy than what you thought of as, oh, the person putting the pills in the bottle and handing it to you across the counter. In fact, all of that is done robotically now. 
So pharmacists aren't even involved in putting pills in bottles anymore or counting them out. It's, it's more of the cognitive aspects That's of, right. uh, of That's applying right. the knowledge They're, that they have. Right. And so th- pharmacists are now part of what's called a collaborative healthcare team. And that means that if you go around to clinics, and I think that UC Healthcare is a great example of this. If you go to any of the clinics around here, you will see a physician, a nurse practitioner, a pharmacist, often a social worker if appropriate. And I know, having gone to medical school instead of pharmacy school, that the amount of information that I got in terms of pharmacology was like that. Okay? <laughs> There's so much to learn. Yes. And that was Back then, now there's even more to learn. So there has to be someone on the team who has that knowledge. And pharmacy students spend four years learning about drug metabolism, drug-drug interactions, side effects, chemistry, you know, things that no one else would have. So when I go to clinics now, and I'm rounding with people, say, with infectious disease, the physician will turn to the pharmacist and say, look, this patient just came in with... with these signs and symptoms, is this due to their disease or is it due to the drug they're on? So you need to have someone there who can provide you with that information. Yeah, I'm an ophthalmologist, right? So how do I stay up to date on all the medications that my patients walk in on? That's right. I I don't. I know the eye drops, and I I have, I think, a strong understanding of that, but they come in on all sorts of medications. And um, to this day, I think that there's still uh, a role that the, the pharmaceutical rep from an industry company is the one detailing the doctor mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. a new medication. So there's no way that physicians can be as up-to-date as That's a pharmacist right. is. That's right. So, you know, what, what the pharmacist has to do, particularly now as you have a, an aging population in the United States, for example, I think any of us who have taken care of, of older parents know, oftentimes dad or mom will have a box, and that box will have eight little boxes in it, and there'll be different colors, pills. And, and all they know is, oh, I take this one in the morning, this one in the afternoon. Right. So the pharmacist looks at this and goes, wait a second. Now, now, who prescribed you this medication? And you often find out that different physicians in different specialty clinics prescribe these different medications without ever thinking about what else that person is on. And it's the pharmacist that has to go, wait a second. This drug is going to cause the metabolism of this drug to be increased. So this isn't going to be working at all if you're taking this. You know, let's see what we can do about changing this a little bit. And that's, I think, what modern pharmacy is. And it's a huge role. It's an important it's role. It's a very important role. Um, we, the, the people are living longer and on medica- more medications. That's right. Uh, and doctors have less time per patient than we used to. Mm-hmm. So all of that becomes crucial. So, so you're training these um, these specialists in healthcare uh, coming through the school. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have research projects that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and let's tie it back into what we started with, which is you've got outside the United States this incredible need, mm-hmm. but now it's starting to creep into the United States. That's some right. of the immigrant population that we have, some Absolutely. people coming from other parts of the world mm-hmm. are bringing some of these diseases here. How does this come together? What, what, what do right. we need to be doing right. and what are we doing? Well, I think there's two things. First of all, you know, we're the world now. I mean, um, if you talk about uh, being able to fly from here to Abu Dubai or to fly from here to Bangkok, you know, suddenly diseases that we think about as being exotic 
are no longer exotic. They Ebola shows up here, right? That's yeah. right. So there's a wonderful example. Ebola shows up and becomes a huge political issue, right? <laughs> you know, and no one ever thought, oh, gee, I wonder what's going on in West Africa right now. And of course, Ebola is gone now. And is anyone saying, oh, gee, I wonder what's going on in West Africa now? No. no. All right. So. <laughs> So it's, re- it's reactive instead of proactive. Absolutely. So one of the things we have to do is we have to train our students to be aware of the fact that there are diseases that maybe we don't have here right now, but they're going to come tomorrow. Okay? Or they're here and we just don't know about them. Because as you said, you, know, you have people immigrating in. You can have mother-to-fetus to transmission of diseases. Um, you can have diseases that get into our blood supply. So there's all kinds of ways in which one can get diseases which were originally thought to be more exotic, and now they're part of our country. So that, that, I, I think that the pharmacist has to be, and so does the physician, has to be aware that this is happening. Okay? The second thing is we encourage our students to maybe spend some time abroad. Go to another country. See how they do things. Right? See what diseases they have to deal with. And there's, there's no substitute for that kind of experience. It is amazing. And those students come back and they go, wow, you know, they asked me to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> but how wonderful is yeah, that, right? Yeah, it is. Um, and so, so then that's, that's now it's cultural exchange. It's scientific exchange. It lifts the, the rising tide. So it lifts all the boats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that works out positively. Um, if you are going to design these, some of these systems, how do we create an economic system that makes sense? I mean, there, there is an example of ivermectin, for example, where mm-hmm. that was donated and released by a drug That's company, right. and it made an enormous difference mm-hmm. for river blindness and, and treatment. That's right. um, not everything can be taken in, on that way. So how do we make, how do we help people, the multiple millions and hundreds of millions mm-hmm. of people who are suffering, uh, and make a difference for them? Because we really have a cycle of poverty. I mean, if, you, if, you, right. if you're sick and, and you are, uh, can't go to school and you can't learn, and you, this cycle is never going to mm-hmm. end unless we start mm-hmm. getting some health involved and change it. That's right. How do we do this? Well, you know, I think that's a really difficult question. But there are a couple of ways I think it's being addressed. One is, I think a lot of people in the field, I try to include myself, constantly talk to people in industry and say, you know, perhaps we should get involved a little more in these diseases. And you can try different arguments. For example, you can say, you know, some of these countries that we think of as developing, why don't you think of them as emerging markets? Now, if you think of them as emerging markets, perhaps you should provide them with a drug for a disease that affects them, and then you can go in and you can sell the next cholesterol-lowering drug to their population. Okay, so that's one, right. one approach. Well, isn't this why it's so important for academic centers to live in the real world and have partnerships with industry? Oh, absolutely. It's sometimes people look askance at that, but I think it's crucial. It is crucial. And, you know, I think that in the past there used to be this separation, they'd say, academia and industry. I try to make that seamless. And I think, actually, we've been very lucky here, both in my school and at the university, by saying we're open. We're open to collaborating with the companies, the biotech companies on the Mesa, the the larger pharmaceutical companies. And, you know, it's important because it tells them that we're willing to be partners with you. And in return, they can provide us with maybe not a substantial amount of support as you would if you were talking about a drug for asthma, but at least something that gets things going. And, you know, another thing that I try to, to point out to them, you know, If you were to help us 
come up with a new drug for one of these diseases, this would be tremendous positive publicity for you, as ivermectin was. Yes. And as you know, if you read the newspapers these days, there's a lot of negative publicity about the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. So they, this, this, this is resonates sort of corporate with social responsibility. That's right. That's and and, and there's, there's huge value to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of these drugs you guys work on repurposing. That's right. And there's some drugs we have now that can be repurposed for the, the tropical, the neglected mm-hmm. tropical diseases. Mm-hmm. But there's also some drugs that, we, that turn out to be developed that can be used for something else. That's right. Uh, and, and that's value that's hard to even plan for. And and so that that is part of what you're doing at Skax, too, is looking at repurposing some of the medications. I love that because, you know, you take a drug that's been around for 20 years and figure out something else for it. That's right. We know the drug already. That's right. And you know it's safe and you know how to give it to people and you know what kind of blood levels you get. And I'll tell you, when, when we've done this, the people that are particularly happy tend to be the chemists and industry who might have synthesized those drugs. Because very often these repurposed drugs were for diseases, maybe they were approved in the 1980s for something, and now they've been supplanted by a bunch of other things. And the chemist who made them, you know, chemists think of, of what they make as their little children, right? So, <laughs> so the company went to the chemist and said, put your children on the shelf. We don't need them anymore. Now we come to them and say, you know, um, that thing on the, you got on the shelf there, that actually works pretty well against Chagas disease. Why don't we kind of explore that. And they go, oh, wow, you're going to get one of our children off the shelf. <laughs> oh, that's a neat way to look yeah. at it. I like that. Um, so so uh, in, in the short time we have left, I wanted to ask you, if the world according to McCaro, what do you want to see happen uh, broadly? And, and, and what do you need to make your vision of the world happen? Yeah, I think there's two things. One, I think that this idea of Approaching a patient as a team as opposed to approaching the patient as an individual is a key part of the future of healthcare, And this is what I'd like to see, not only in the United States, but all over the world. Okay? And it's a recognition of the fact that our understanding of disease, our understanding of therapy, our understanding of diagnosis has become so broad. We have big data. We have all kinds of new technologies, new drugs. No one person can understand all of that. You really need to have a team approach. So I think a big part of my vision would be, yes, people will recognize that this is the way to do healthcare, okay, everywhere. Secondly, I think in terms of looking at global health, you know, that everyone deserves to be healthy. Um, I think that people in the United States, and I'm not talking about the average citizen, unfortunately, I'm probably talking about the politician, has to look a little bit more broadly, has to look outside our borders and say, you know, if we really want the United States to be viewed in a very positive way, perhaps one of these things we might be doing is to provide better health for people throughout the world and to think really broadly, Ebola being a great example. Don't just think about the problem that, oh, we just had someone come into Texas with Ebola. Well, we got to do something about it. Think about, well, why did they get Ebola? Right. What was the problem in West Africa? Oh, gosh, it was a lack of good health care. There's only one doctor in like three different provinces. Maybe we should try to do something about that. And, and make a difference because it will touch us one way or the other. It will touch us uh, eventually. And, and uh, the idea that this affects those countries' cycle of poverty. And then, but 
poverty enmeshed countries are not always the best partners. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a country that you've helped get out of poverty and succeed, boy, that, that's good for everybody. That's right. And, you know, what, I think an important thing for people to understand about these neglected diseases, they're actually different from Ebola. You know, Ebola comes in, kills a bunch of people, and then it's gone. These are chronic. These are chronic infections. These are things that give what's called anemia. So people should think about this. When you're anemic, you feel tired. Oh, it's like having chronic fatigue syndrome from a mosquito. I mean, this is terrible, so kids don't do well in school. If you're working in a factory, you can't work all day. You're a farmer, you can't work in the field. So the whole socioeconomic level of a region just plummets. down. It's that, yeah, and we have a chance to make a difference That's for that. That's right. Wow. Thank you so much for taking some okay, time well, to, to, to talk to us about this incredible work that you're doing at the school and raising an issue that we all need to be aware of. Uh, I, I want you to come back, and, and next time I want to lay out the various different impacts that the school has had because you're a young school, and, and you're going to be impacting a lot of people in a lot of ways. That's right. So thank you again okay, for spending time you. with us. I've been talking with Dr. James McCarrow, who is dean of the uh, Skag School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences, uh, about the important role that drug development, about the drug impact, and really how the pharmacist gets in the middle of all that as your trusted advisor, your real confidant who's looking out for you as part of the healthcare team. In that role, that person's going to make a difference not only for you, but with the science that we're bringing to the table, hopefully make a difference around the world. There are so many people affected by these neglected tropical diseases, and we can make a difference. I hope you've learned something today. If you've been listening closely, you have. Remember, knowledge is power. I'm Dr. David Granite, and this has been Health Matters. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.